This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This is the Proud American Podcast, and I'm your host, Johnny Joey Jones. Most people aspire to do one exceptional thing that maybe inspires others and makes a difference. But for some, that means charity. Um, It might mean public service or military service. And for many of us, it simply means just having a family and raising our kids. But for my friend and Army veteran, Amber Smith, well, she has excelled in all the above. She's one of the few female pilots to fly the OH-58 Delta Kiowa Armed Reconnaissance Helicopter on combat missions in Iraq and Afghanistan. She's a TV analyst and trusted voice for national security, and most recently served in multiple positions with the Department of Defense for the Trump administration. Certified, bona fide, queen of awesome, Amber, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be on with you. So um, I know you, we really met through being on television together. And the thing about that is, you know, you never know, like you, you know, somebody and you see them in a, in a screen, but you don't meet them. And then finally we got to meet in person. I'm like, man, this lady is awesome. She's done things that I would be afraid to do, flying helicopters, no way. Um, and you're a mom and you've worked in government and you've worked with military nonprofits. And it's like, how do you, how do you find time to just keep doing awesome things? Well, thank you. Right back at you doing awesome things. Um, I just feel very fortunate. Like speaking of being a proud American, I feel like this country has given me the opportunities to pursue everything that you just mentioned. And I think that, you know, obviously I have an interest in national security from the get go and being raised in a patriotic family and loving aviation early on. Um, Really helped me pursue sort of my love of aviation through the military. And the army had just this program that I felt was such a perfect fit for me. I wasn't so sure of helicopters in the very beginning. Everybody in my family is uh, fixed wing pilots. And so I was like, who, my dad thought I was crazy that I was interested in helicopters. And, uh, you know, they always were like, helicopter pilots are crazy. They're flying a machine that has 10,000 parts all working against each other, which is actually some truth to that. Uh, but I ended up going down that path and, you know, it led me to where I am today and uh, opened so many doors. I'm incredibly I know everyone calls, you know, serving in the military your service, but I feel like the military provided me with so much as well. So I'm very grateful to have been able to serve this country that I love so much and um, be a part of that brotherhood and sisterhood for the rest of my life. Well, you absolutely are. And you represent us well. And for that, I want to thank you myself. And and I just love it's rare that I have someone like yourself on here who has sacrificed and worked so hard and doesn't say they're they're just grateful to have done it. And I think that's that missing element or that core gene for proud Americans that I hope we can multiply and keep out there. But you just kind of back to the specifics. 
the so the Kiowa warrior is a helicopter and um it's so armed reconnaissance that kind of means you're flying low to the ground and getting a good look is that more dangerous like tell me a little bit about that i would say it's pretty dangerous i definitely um am grateful grateful to be alive today um we fly extremely low level sometimes just like 50 feet above the ground we fly direct support for the infantry um marine elements special forces special operations um NATO forces, uh, Iraqi army, Afghan army did all of that. Um, but we fly direct support for them. So we could be covering a convoy and searching for IEDs out ahead of the convoy. We could be, um, observing, um, artillery fire into a mountainside. We could be escorting a medevac with wounded soldiers, uh, or on a, on a reconnaissance time, we could just be looking for the enemy in the mountains of Afghanistan or desert of Iraq and did a lot of that. Uh, and so it, it was very dangerous. You often got shot at. It wasn't a matter of if it was when, um, you just never knew what you were going to get into when you, you know, left, um, the airfield. You know, one thing I want to focus on here, cause I find this very interesting myself. Like I, you're either a, you're either a, an airplane helicopter person or you're not. And for me, most of my military service, if it had wings, it was a airplane. If it had rotary, it was a helicopter. And I didn't really care after that until I needed it. And, I, and then I was like, oh, so that's what kind of vehicle that is. And, that, and I'm going to be in one of those. But when we talk about reconnaissance with a helicopter, you know, when I think reconnaissance, I think stealth and eyes on the prize, not necessarily taking action. But, but if you're an armed, you know, a warship helicopter and you're flying reconnaissance, does that mean that there were times where you were the one that had to take the action against the enemy as well? Oh, absolutely. You got it exactly right. So we're armed reconnaissance. So we have a 50 cal machine gun uh, rocket pod that carries seven rockets. We can be, we can also carry hellfire missiles. So we are absolutely a um, direct engagement on a target uh, capability. So whether that be, um, through a request of the ground element that we're supporting, or if it's in self-defense, or if we find an enemy target that needs to be taken out, um, we are the ones that pull the trigger. And so absolutely, there are times frequently when that when that happens. What's that responsibility feel like when you're in the air and you're already focused on keeping this, you know, defying physics vehicle in the air? Uh, what's, you know, how do you is it a split second decision thing? Is it you train? So it's, it's easy to do like what, give me an idea of what that feels like. Yeah. I learned being a Iowa warrior helicopter pilot that there's no substitute for experience. Um, shooting as well. It's a perishable skill. The more you do it, the better you are at it. Um, decision-making as well. Uh, and multitasking, you are flying this, you know, multi-million dollar helicopter. There's a, there's a co-pilot and then there's the pilot in command. Um, you have all of these avionics, mission equipment, um, thermal imaging systems, weapons, um, navigation. There's so much going on. You have five different radios that are constantly talking at the same time um, because you have the air, the ground, um, so much other stuff to consider. So it is a very busy, busy time while you're on a mission. Um, pulling the trigger for me. I have always felt that my uh, mission when I was out um, 
you know, during time of war in Iraq or Afghanistan, my mission, um, aside from, you know, flying the helicopter and making it back that day was to protect the ground forces that we were responsible for. So, um, for me, that was, that was my focus and that was it. And if that's what needed to be done to protect those guys on the ground, then that's what I did. Well, as one of those guys on the ground, I can just say, thank you so much. Uh, we, we really do not just literally, but figuratively look up to the, the angels in the sky that keep us alive, uh, sometimes with weapons and sometimes to take us to the hospital when we need it. And I've, I've experienced both. So thank you so much. And I think that's a part of the combat story that maybe it gets idealized, but it doesn't get talked about enough. And we don't, we don't really get to get your perspective enough. So I appreciate you coming on and, and sharing it from that perspective. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, I always, so I went to Iraq first. I did Iraq in 05 and 06 and then Afghanistan for all of 08. And I think that um, speaking, you know, you always have all these thoughts in your mind. Like in Iraq, I was a brand new pilot out of flight school. I had like, I think around just over 200 hours or something like that. And so I basically, I was a brand new baby pilot, you could say, and thrown into a war thrown in with all of these responsibilities and, and you just, you don't know until you're there, right? Like you don't know how you're going to react. You don't know how you're going to, to respond. So it's very much like, you know, you can watch all the war movies and hear everybody else's stories, but until you experience it for yourself and have to respond yourself, um, you just, you don't know what it's, it's going to be like. It's always someone else's story until you're there yourself. You're absolutely right. I, I know a lot of people that say that talk the good talk, but even as a Marine who had been to Iraq in 07 and 08, when I went to Afghanistan in 2010, it's the first time I, I really had direct fire engagement. And um, you don't know how you're going to respond until you respond. And it's all your training and mentors and the team around you that really allow you to perform when you need to. And, um, and that's a really cool thing that I guess we have in common more than I realized. Yeah, I always said, because people often have asked me like, oh, you know, what's the difference between the wars? Um, I always thought that the enemy in, and this is from a, obviously a helicopter pilot's perspective, um, the Afghanistan was a much more challenging war in terms of the enemy. And um, we, I saw much more aggression from the enemy that wasn't as, um, I guess, concerned about the helicopter capabilities where in Iraq it was um, they definitely knew to take cover and just kind of um, let the helicopters do their thing where in Afghanistan it was much they were much more willing to fight in the presence of a helicopter I'll put it I'll put it that way you know that's interesting it, it, it was very much a different war for me on the ground as an EOD tech and and it was more difficult in Afghanistan but for a completely different perspective. And um, they, it felt like in Afghanistan they had less, so they tried to do more almost. And uh, and so it's really neat to hear that from you too. Hey, listen, we, we've learned about the warrior side of Amber Smith. There's a lot more about you here I want to talk about. So we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with more Proud American after this. Why is it that with sparkling water, I'm always playing guessing games with what flavor I'm drinking? Is it citrus? Is it aluminum can flavored? Mm, not sure. Sparkling ice, though, they really mean flavor. Like in-your-face flavor. Orange mango, black raspberry. Don't even get me started on the strawberry lemonade. Kiwi strawberry slid right into my taste buds DMs last night and let them know who's boss. No subtleties there and no sugar either. But it does have vitamins and antioxidants. Find sparkling ice at a major grocery store or club retailer near you. Sparkling ice. Anything but subtle. 
All right. So, Amber, you, you spent your time in the military. You said you deployed um, up through 2008, and then I assume you probably got out of the military shortly after that? I got out in 2010. Yeah. And that was the year I got injured. And um, and you do have a book, and feel free to plug it real quick. I'll be honest and say I haven't read it because I don't read much anymore. But I know it's an awesome book because I've heard people talk about it, and I've read about it. And, and what's the book called? My book's called Danger Close, My Epic Journey as a Combat Helicopter Pilot in Iraq and Afghanistan. And it really takes you through my journey of entering the military, why I decided to do it, all of my training, and then into my Iraq and Afghanistan deployments. So Danger Close, you can find it on Amazon or anywhere that sells books. Well, I'll commit to you in front of my audience right now. I am going to read this book because just talking to you today, like I'm, I'm ready for the, for the detailed stories now because it's, I'm excited to learn. And obviously you're, you made it back. So I know some of the ending, but I'm sure we'll learn some lessons along the way. But if we fast forward from your time in the military to kind of when I got to know you, which is to, uh, you were involved with, with different organizations, I think, and, and we met through some mutual friends. But eventually I, I got to know you on television as an analyst. And how did how did that happen? How did you go from the cockpit of a helicopter to sitting in the chair in front of the camera? The light goes on and millions of people are interested in what you have to say. So you could say that I'm quite opinionated. And when I got out of the military, it was the first time I really feel like I got to use my voice and take some of the experiences, the things I'd seen overseas and at war. And when I came home to the US, I thought that sort of um, this generation um, veterans voice was kind of lacking. I, I started uh, in like 2013, I think. And so I, you know, you always saw the generals on TV and you always saw that sort of level of analyst who had been out of the operational game from some time for some time. And so I started writing, um, you know, articles on national security and foreign policy and giving sort of um, a more recent perspective and analysis of the issues that were going on. And um, from there just started providing that same sort of analysis on, on TV and, loved getting to share with the American people um, my thoughts on the issues that faced us today. Okay. Put yourself in the cockpit of a helicopter in combat or in front of a camera for the first time about to go on a national network. What What's scarier? I think that's why I liked doing TV <laughs> because it was like, it was kind of like that, uh, minor like adrenaline rush of that this is live tv if i mess up it's not something you get to like press pause and like let's rewind and redo that live tv is a little bit intimidating when you first start doing it so you know i i think obviously flying a helicopter in combat is is much more challenging you have to be you have years of training to get there. Um, I didn't have any training when I started going. <laughs> on it was really just me and figuring it all out for myself. And um, I have learned though, that there's a little bit more that goes into it in terms of being articulate within a very short time frame and being clear and concise and, and getting it, getting out all the information that you need to get out is um, it's almost like 
shooting from a helicopter. The more you <laughs> That's so funny. I, I can identify, I feel like we're in a small club. Uh, and actually one of the other podcasts we've done with, with Pete Hegseth, that this is all we talked about, which was going from the battlefield to broadcast and what that means. And so I don't want to harp on it because I've, I've already had that conversation, but from you, how do you, do you consider that a responsibility and honor and obligation what does it mean to have served on the battlefield and to have that unique perspective and then to bring it to broadcast or bring it to the homes of people and, and share it or use it as a tool to talk about what's happening in the world today? No, I do. I consider it an absolute honor that I get to use my voice. And I've heard from so many people that write me on social media or through like my email contacts that are like, thank you for giving a voice you know, from, for people with, you know, similar backgrounds, similar experiences, um, and letting the American people know what it was like or, or why you have these opinions, um, and how you're able to come to these conclusions, um, based on your experiences and expertise. Um, so I think it's a, it's a great honor to be able to use my voice, use my experiences and sort of open up, um, like a whole new world to people who, haven't had those experiences. No, I, I can, I can say I agree very much. And I think you probably um, do just such a fantastic job at it that you were brought into the, the campaign for president Trump and then into the administration and you worked, I believe it was with the department of defense. And I think I, I saw today you had multiple positions. I didn't know that. So I think at one point you were a spokesperson and then an advisor or you want to, I'll let you clear that up because obviously my reading comprehension has failed me in my recall here. Uh, and I'd love to just learn or, or hear kind of what that was like and what your roles were there. So I entered the administration uh, as, so my first title was the special assistant in the office of the secretary of defense um, for the first couple months. And from there um, I was appointed to the position of deputy assistant to the secretary of defense, um, in public affairs. And so I worked a lot, uh, with outreach and I got to launch the biggest, um, civilian military divide initiative called know your, um, or this is your military. And it really was an opportunity for, um, the Department of Defense to connect the military and those who serve to the American public. I think um, I did a, a lot of research on the civil divide and how it is continuing to grow and how Americans are um, like basically the connection that they have to those who are serving is getting wider and wider. And that is a long-term national security threat in terms of retention and recruitment and who is really going to be serving in the military of tomorrow. And it's sort of become a family business. And unfortunately, that means a very small percentage of Americans are carrying the burden of um, service and protecting our nation. Um, and so it, it really was um, a way for uh, DOD to connect with Americans and teach them about why people serve, um, that they just, some of the misperceptions that are out there are so really unbelievable that, um, we felt that, you know, it needed a big initiative to sort of, um, fix that. 
That's awesome. I, I think we could have a whole nother podcast on that topic. I yeah. I have seen it's really neat because you've touched on so many things today that we share in common, but from a completely different perspective. For example, that civilian military divide, my my um I guess experience with it is on the other side. When the military comes back into the civilian world and I'm trying to help vets transition and the world they're coming back into doesn't understand them any more than they understand it. And trying to both train veterans to know they're a civilian now and, and this is kind of how the, it is and here's how they can have a positive effect, but also train civilians to understand who they're bringing into their business or their community and to say, hey, this is not just a problem after the fact, but even before the fact, because if society doesn't understand who has served, how does society de- decide to go serve? And so it's a really neat, uh, I guess, coming full circle of we need to have our military more connected to our society. We really do. It, and it's just it's actually a little bit frightening and, and unfortunate uh, about how serious it is. And unfortunately, when you work with uh, bureaucracy, usually the things that only get attention are, are immediate threats. And of course, that makes sense. Um, but also when this hits, which it's going to at some point, um, it is going to be a, a significant problem. Um, and it's a known problem now, but it just keeps getting kicked down the road because it's the results or the effects of it aren't immediate as in tomorrow. Is the solution a draft? So um, speaking of an entire another podcast that we can talk about, <laughs> um, this the I think that that may be um, something that's going to have to be considered uh, for the for the uh, military to be able to get the numbers where they need to, um, because right now we're already seeing um, the like the military is throwing money at the problem. They're reducing standards, um, which is causing you know a little bit more issues in the military in terms of drugs and gangs and crime and all of that. And then you also have, um, they're, they're throwing money, bonus signing bonuses, getting people to join the military. Um, and so yeah, sooner or later, it's like, what's something's got to give. Well, I can tell you, I interviewed a Vietnam veteran recently and, and he had a unique perspective. He said the worst thing about the military is that we don't have a draft and that in his experience, the majority of people that, that were drafted became incredibly patriotic. And I think there's probably something to learn there. Maybe, um, you know, people often compare the the system in Israel where everyone has two years conscripted service, which I know it's a little bit different than what than our draft, which is normally during a time of war. But um, but maybe there is something to serving in the military that we could all gain from and, and maybe owe. Well, I think that it, I completely agree um, I've been to Israel. I've, I've spoken with members of the IDF and about their service program. And I think that that is something that is lacking in America. And I mean, culturally, like bigger picture, um, patriotism isn't something that American kids get growing up anymore, unless they have very patriotic parents. And so I think that, yes, when you serve your country, um, you respect your country, you value your country, and you are proud of your country. And I think that so much of that is missing. So yes, either a um, long story short, either a draft or some form of mandatory, you know, multi year service, um, I think would be good. We'll, uh, we'll have to have another podcast sometime about that. But last, we'll wrap this up. You, uh, 
Yeah, well, we'll touch on this first. You, you have two children and an English bulldog, which I've got two kids and I love them. But the English bulldog is kind of where I hone in because I can't get away from them. I, as a Georgia Bulldogs fan and then a United States Marine and then a Hoya, that's always kind of been the mascot of my life. So um, tell us about your kids and your bulldog and kind of, you know, everything you got going on now. So, yes, I'm married now to my amazing husband. He's military as well. And then uh, my two kids, I've got a two-year-old girl and a six-month-old baby boy that are just so much fun. I'm so grateful for them. And then, of course, to the bulldog. uh, (laughs) She is a white English bulldog. And, oh, my gosh, she is just – I have wanted an English bulldog for so long, I can't even tell you. And she's just – bulldogs have the funniest – personalities oh and by the way her name is kiowa which is obviously (laughs) and uh yeah so she is hilarious they stink they snore a lot and but they're the best with like kids and everybody we always see is like oh is that uga (laughs) no maybe like uga's cousin Ugga being the University of Georgia, and Ugga is the name of our mascot. I just need to throw that out there for the listeners, and uh, I, I love that, um, that that's what people think about when they see your beautiful bulldog. Yeah, she's a lot of fun. Well, thank you so much for sharing so much of your experience and perspective and giving us something to think about uh, with our with the state of our military and the civilian divide. And then lastly, to tell us about your beautiful family and just all the amazing things you've done. Um I guess the last thing I'll ask, because I want to ask you this, what does it mean to you to be a proud American? It means that I am grateful to live in a country that has provided me with all of the freedoms and liberties that I've grown up with and that I get to enjoy every single day. And I'm a proud American that I get to raise my children in this country that is going to, you know, hopefully continue and provide them with the freedoms that I have loved and I'm so incredibly grateful for. And we're grateful for you and we're grateful for people like you. And I hope that, um, I hope there's a lot more of you. And so Amber, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Joey. Great to speak with you as always. Perhaps nothing shows how proud you are to be an American, like risking your life for this country in war. But continuing to serve in other ways and making yourself a voice for the millions of veterans in this country is just as, if not more, inspirational. I'm glad my little girl will grow up with heroes like Amber to show her any and everything is possible when you're hardworking, proud American. To hear more stories like this, visit foxnewspodcast.com and be sure to check back next week for a brand new Proud American Story. I'm Johnny Joey Jones, and thanks for listening. News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.